welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat. How's it going, Brianna? What's crackalackin? I no, got no, some of the... you're not allowed. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say that? Say crackalackin on this podcast? Okay, hello humans. I Hello. will start the show with that today. I got <laughs> I, I got the coolest gadget today. So, um, you know, we're working on VR problems at our studio and like, you know, working with outside investors and all of that. Ooh. So I got this cool gadget today. And it's, I actually don't know how you pronounce this. Is it Mio, Mio, something like that? But you, it's this thing, it goes on your arm and it measures your like arm muscles, uh, meaning your hand gestures when you move your hand fingers. So hand like you fingers? can hook it up and do, yeah. What happens when fingers. you move your other fingers? Right. I guess that's your toes maybe, but no, <laughs> it's really, really awesome. Like you can hook it up to a keynote presentation and then you can just like double tap your <gasps> fingers together and it goes back and forth or you can do a sweeping like wave of your hand. It'll go back in your presentation. And then what's so awesome, like, do you remember in, in Metroid prime three, when you would get the Wii controller and you'll push it forward and turn your wrist. So you can get the Mio and you can do that and push your hand forward and turn your wrist and then it turns your entire fist into a laser pointer. Oh my God. For your, I know. That is right? unbelievably cool. I know. I'm le- well, it's very uncomfortable and ugly, but other than that, <laughs> it's awesome. So is that what that we can look forward to in uh, Revolution 62? Well, we're not working on that yet. We're working on an unannounced title mm-hmm. with two major, major, major voice actors, <gasps> which people are going to be very, very happy about. Um, but what we're doing is we're... I, I don't think that we'll, we'll get into this with our topics today, but mm-hmm. I don't think the future is going to look like handing a normal person a PS4 controller <laughs> to, to work with these applications. I think yeah. it's going to be something simpler. I don't think it's going to be this, but you know, we're, we're right. interested to experiment with it. And I'm also joined by John Syracuse, host of ATP and also former host of the legendary, I'll say it, hypercritical podcast. Hi, John. Welcome to Rocket. I feel bad. I don't have a catchphrase. You I feel don't. like I should make you one for, for guest appearance. Just for yeah. tonight. It's your one time, your chance to shine. You know, your only chance to shine, I guess, even though you podcast all the time. Hmm. Yeah, you need a catchphrase. We got to do this. How about this? You're about to get Syracuse'd. <laughs> <laughs> after uh, after Dow Bunga, it's all downhill. Yeah, so that's true. you should retire undefeated. <laughs> For a catchphrase coin. I, I will work on a really long time for you, John. I will mm-hmm. I will try to find something that rhymes with Syracuse. Yeah, I'm disappointed <laughs> that apparently the rule is you have to have a different catchphrase for every podcast you're on. That's, yeah, that's tough. That's Oof. tough. Come on, Simone. Why are you? That's that's not very hard. Do I even hard. have a catchphrase? Do I you have do. one? You do. You do. You, the other day you said, you know, I'm Simone <laughs> de Rochefail. And I'm like, that is awesome. That's a great catchphrase right there. Oh, my God. I literally don't remember saying that. (laughs) But it's a negative. That's the one problem. Yeah. And I I rarely fail. So it's probably not going to be very useful as moving forward, you know. Right. Right. I don't know. You should get on that. Think about it. So John is joining us tonight because we fired Christina. No. 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 We are doing a trade. No, Christina will never be fired. She is. We are in a legally binding friendship because she's the best. But John is like the second best. So our friendship isn't legally binding yet, though, I don't think. 
Right, right. I don't know. That would be hard, Simone. Like, if it were the zombie apocalypse, who would you want? Like, John Syracuse or Christina on your team? Oh, that's, gosh. That's really tough. You want Christina, trust me. Why? Why? You don't think you would be useful in a zombie apocalypse? Not as useful as her. Like, I, where did I see her today? So she's she's got all her writing stuff. She's, what was she on television again today? Oh, yeah, she's, she's everywhere. She's, I'm not smart. entirely sure she's one person. No, that's very true. I could have multiple Christina Warrens on my team. But, you know, modesty does not become you. I, I, I think that you'd be a valuable asset. <laughs> do you do you have a plan for the zombie apocalypse? Uh, my plan is depressing, like so many plans. Like, I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like I would be useless in the zombie apocalypse until all my family and friends are dead, because that's the only time you are freed up to actually yeah. to, to behave in a way that will get you to survive, because the rest of the time you're trying to save your family and friends. And that's how everybody dies. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. where you take risks. I will admit right now I'm not going to survive the zombie apocalypse. I'm, really? I'm going to die immediately see i think i would be really good in a zombie apocalypse. oh you would so i i grew up in mississippi so even though i don't like guns or own a gun i know a lot about guns and i have a motorcycle and i know how to like go off road and like four wheelers and you know like growing up in mississippi i feel like i absorbed a lot of knowledge that i really didn't care about back then but would be very useful in a zombie apocalypse like how to skin a deer so oh i feel like i would be uniquely prepared to survive that also you exercise I do. I exercise yeah. all the time. I so. grew up in a Victorian hippie commune, and I never leave my couch. So, <laughs> oh, is that Zombieland, right? The movie that emphasized the importance of cardio and escaping zombies. It's true. That's it's true. like That's the true. one, That's the true. number one rule. And yet, here I am. <laughs> so, John, before we start the show today, I have to tell you about something awesome here in Massachusetts because you also live right here in Massachusetts. And that is they just opened up a Dave and Buster's over in, I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it Woburn? Woburn? Something like that here. Um, but it's right off the highway. It's right off 93. We just went there last night and had an absolute blast. They have Time Crisis 5. They've got like the DDR ripoff. They have like a Jurassic Park game. They're going to have Star Wars Battle Pod yeah, soon. That, that's it the is, one I'm interested oh, in. Oh, Star it's Wars. so oh good. Gosh. Have you played it yet? Have you played no, it I've yet? No, I've heard of you talk about it and I've seen oh, pictures so of it online. Good. And I want <laughs> so to play it. good. It's so good. It's like it's like a huge circle in front of you, and you get to just fly and destroy Tie Fighters. It's really good. Is it on rails? Is it is it a rails yeah, game? Yeah, it is. It's really they have a game that's at this Dave and Buster's. It's um like Time uh, Ace Pilot or something like that. It's pretty much the same game, just not with the Star Wars skin. So, um, did you ever play Tie Fighter back in the day on the the PC? Yep. Okay, so it's really similar in the sense it's on rails and you're flying around and the goal is like to get in the targets and shoot all these planes that just magically fly into your, your <laughs> field of view every few seconds. And what happens if you like slow down, just like in TIE Fighter, you'll have more control over your, your, your fighter, and then you can like target and just destroy everything. So it's actually very similar to that. So it's like you've got you've got aiming, I'm assuming yes. with like some kind of flight control, and yep. then you've got throttle, no, yep. no shield positioning or anything? No, no shield positioning, sadly. Hmm. It's a pretty casual game, but it's very immersive. It's very immersive, which is where it wins. I would like to try that. In the yeah. Jurassic Park game, are yes. you shooting the dinosaurs? Yes, you are. <sighs> okay. You are petting them? You know, <laughs> my entire life, I've been waiting for a game where dinosaurs and I can cooperate just as humans and dinosaurs did in the 
fantastic Dinotopia franchise because I feel, although, you know, now that I know more about birds, the more I learn about birds, the more <laughs> I suspect that dinosaurs were not, in fact, our friends. The dinosaurs <laughs> were frightening and horrible and loud and delicious. But <laughs> it's still my dream to befriend the dinosaurs. And I, I, I stand by that dream. Do you remember Dinosaur Planet? <laughs> no, I don't what? think I do. Bree, do you remember that one? I don't. I it don't. became Star Fox 64. It was what? originally Dinosaur Planet. Really? It, really? It's the same game, and it was you were going oh, to that's be. That's right. Remember yeah. a bunch of dinosaurs with uh with or I don't remember the characters were dinosaurs. They were anyway. They reskinned the whole thing and changed it to a Star Fox game, like midway through development. And Damn. so it was your chance to do cooperative things with dinosaurs. <sighs> my dreams shattered before I even knew that they were my dreams. <laughs> That that game was pretty lousy though, wasn't it? Or am I misremembering? Oh, I that? I never played Star Fox yeah, before. Yeah, well, it would have been better if it had been dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. That's who, true. Cares, who cares about Star Fox? <laughs> the, the, so the whole time playing the Jurassic Park game, I'm like sitting there thinking about the irony that like Jurassic Park One is about the wonder and mystery of like bringing dinosaurs back to life after all this time, and then Jurassic Park the arcade game is just about murdering thousands <laughs> of dinosaurs. Just well, what, like, once they turn yeah. on you, you have to. Right. Yeah, you've got to put them down. We made a mistake. We made a big mistake. Put them back where they came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. You guys want to get to the show? You want to get to the show? I absolutely do want to get to the show. All right, let's do it. there was an article posted in Recode about VR and AR and basically how those industries combined. There's a venture capital firm that says they'll be worth $150 billion by 2020. And... Often when we talk about these industries, the prediction is that augmented reality will be the bigger and more diverse market because it has a lot more applications, I think, for the workplace as well as the home because you're interacting you know, with digital objects in the physical world. But this article is basically saying that we're really underestimating the VR market, mainly because it doesn't always have to be completely enveloping VR like the Oculus Rift has shown us. There are other examples. And the one that he actually referenced was Z-Space, which basically looks like a pair of tinted glasses and you use a stylus to interact with virtual objects. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, this is really exciting. What do you guys think about the potential for VR that isn't being talked about? Because actually, you know, when I read about VR, it is always talking about games and game applications. And the prediction of these venture capital firms was that games would be the main Um, the main area in which VR would be successful. But this article is saying that's not true. There are so many other things we could do. So, yeah. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, for us at Giant Space Cat, we're obviously very, very interested in this area. Um, You know, like what we're thinking about in in the grand scheme of things at our company is, you know, every age of computers only gets a set amount of time. And I think that the time of, you know, certainly tapping on glass and staring at a flat screen is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're certainly one of the cool things about Unreal is we can develop games for the moment. Um, that we can sell now, but you know we are actually starting to put a lot of R and D into VR and Oculus and trying mm-hmm. to start figuring out these problems. And you know, for us, I I very strongly agree with that. I can say when I talk to venture capitalists, um, you know, their VR, their VCs, they're working um, exclusively in the like they don't want to touch games. They want to yeah. do like real estate uh, with AR and things like that. So. I think it's just a huge emerging market. And you know, to kind of um, take it back and kind of phrase this in maybe consumer electronic terms, and this is where I'd love your opinion, John. Um, I think 
Apple has, like, we know they're burning a lot of money on R&D, right? And they have to be thinking about this because there's got to be someone out there that's starting to think about, like, file system paradigms and, like, what an operating system looks like in VR because, like, after VR comes the point where, you know, we're starting to figure out how to get, like, your limbs hooked up to computers. And, you know, after that is going to be the part where we're having computers interface with their brains directly. So, mm-hmm. like, this is a step towards them being around 100 years from now. So, I mean, John, what do you think? Well, when I think about VR, and I've been thinking about it for a while now, and I have, I still don't have a sort of firm grasp on where we actually are on the continuum, but the reason I, I think that it keeps coming up is... Everyone sees it as an inevitability, uh-huh. uh, just because if you just think of the way human beings have experiences, like the experience of being mm-hmm. somewhere else or being someone else. We've, if you just go through like the history of, of mankind, you've got like stories where the people, you know, spoken word stories and you have live theater and then books and movies and TV. Uh, and I think in, on that continuum, video games come kind of after movies and TV because I think that is a progression. It is yeah. more like being somewhere else or being someone else than those other things. You get 2D video games, a bunch of dots on a screen. You got 3D video games on 2D screens. Uh, and VR just seems like a natural progression because people like that feeling of uh, of having an experience that you're, of simulated experiences. And so this everyone just agrees that like, human beings like real better fidelity simulated experiences and and you know we just want to escape <laughs> even if it's not escape like for, for whatever you know there's a reason people like hearing stories or yeah, you know yeah. like the narrative like just that is a thing that we like and that happens in your head and so as we've been able to simulate you know the holodeck is the obvious you know oh yeah uh, extension of that so vr seems like a step along the way but the other thing this article makes me think of especially when it starts quoting big numbers with you know the, the dollar signs in front of them is I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but John Scully, back when he was the CEO of Apple, mm-hmm. uh, he was big into the PDA. I think he coined that term, personal digital assistant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he gave some speech in the 90s that the PDA was going to be a multi-trillion dollar industry. Like, <gasps> this was the next thing. So there's personal computers, <laughs> and that he was the, the CEO of an important personal computer company. But PDAs, those are the future. It's going to be a multi-trillion dollar industry. He was kind of right. I right. Mean, and yeah. he was mostly right, but he was off by a few decades. And yep. he also didn't, you know, it wasn't it wasn't PDAs. It was a different acronym. What it meant was a thing that you hold in your hand that you stab with something turned out to be a finger and not a stylus or whatever. But yeah. when I look at where VR is now, I think, is this the Palm Pilot? of vr oh, it doesn't yeah. seem like it doesn't seem like the iphone of vr right yeah and so i i think while vr is an inevitability i'm having trouble pinning down where we are on that continuum not that you know the palm pilot is important a palm was important handspring was important and heck the newton was even important like all mm-hmm. those ideas were important products that we had to make lessons that we had to learn uh and it you know that helped us get where we are today but i think we can all draw this sort of hard line at the iphone of like this is when the little rectangular thing you hold in your hand that you touch yeah. crossed over a threshold. And I don't know, having never used Oculus, I can't say from personal experience, is Oculus the iPhone or is it the Palm Pilot? So it's the I'm Palm still, Pilot. I'm still yeah. in, in a wait and see yeah. attitude, but like, but I'm totally on board. But like, this is the natural progression of, of humans technology for, for not just entertaining. I think this article makes a good point, not just entertaining, but just doing everything because what are we doing with our phones? We're not always, you know, playing angry birds on them we do all sorts of things with our phones some of which are work some of which are play uh i I think this this will happen i just don't know if i'll be alive to see it 
Oh, I, yeah. I have so much to say about what you just said. <laughs> like, I mean, you're totally right. It is the Palm Pilot. Um, but we we had to go through the Palm Pilot era to try to figure it out. And I think what's different is I don't think it's going to be like a decade waiting for these technologies to, to start working. Like the Miel I bought today, I don't think like someone's going to want to play a game with this. But what I do think is someone else out there is going to be working on a haptic glove from Ready Player One. And I think like starting to figure out the interface problems of how you interact with something in VR, I think that is something very much worth you know starting to think about. So I was I oh go ahead. I was yeah, thinking what? about haptic feedback actually because one of the things mentioned in this article was educational purposes for VR uh-huh. and in medicine especially. And I we all read that article, a great article about the robot butt this week. But it would be incredibly useful, I think, if you could have haptic feedback and have surgeons practice on 3D models of humans in virtual Mm -hmm. reality. It would be a whole different experience to working with a dummy, even though I I think the dummies are pretty advanced nowadays. But yeah, that would be I, I definitely see that as one of the next steps. You guys touched on this issue before when you talked about the porn stuff, right? Yeah, like, exactly. This all, this all comes back, you know, games being, this article talks about, oh, it's not just about games, it's also about this. Well, it's also about mm-hmm. porn, too, probably. Like, yeah. the, t- the, the two tips of the spear of technology. <laughs> all three, maybe. You've got you've got warfare, yeah. uh, porn, and games. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so it is. I, I, I actually, I did an interview with Slate yesterday uh-huh. um, talking about they have um, some virtual reality software that is like virtual reality applications to like train you not to sexually harass people. Wow. And talking about, but talking about how like cartoonish it is. And like what we're starting to think about it at our company is, okay, so you have games. And I look at my friends that are are um, working in games right now. And you know, John, just to disagree with something you said for a second, um, I don't think that the the future in VR is going to be like a, a hyper realistic uh, impression of the world. Um, what we found, if you look into the actual like the science, the people that are really really studying this stuff right now, that humans actually, um, if it's uncanny valley at all, which even the most like hyper realistic graphics we have today are like you still tell you're in kind of a computer simulation what people actually prefer is a kind of more of a cartoon world and kind of more cartoony people like that feels more real because you kind of throw it away and say like i'm here so um but i think it's like when i see my friends are trying to solve problems like you can't go running down a corridor with a gun in vr that just makes you sick and if you try to hand like a normal person a controller to like interface with like there's a huge disconnect between like the hardcore game market and what someone normal is going to do so like what i think we need to be doing is at least what we're doing at our company is starting to figure out like how do you tell narrative in vr and the goal isn't really to make a game as much as it is to create a hollow novel. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be the person, like, starting to figure that out. So I, I think it's going to take all this failure in simplifying, 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 because I think people tend to go really complex with this stuff. That's how you get apps onto the Palm Pilot, though. you got to do graffiti yeah. on the Palm Pilot. Like, yep. you have to dumb it down. I think we'll eventually, yeah. you know, the fidelity will increase, but it's, it's wise if you're given the Palm Pilot, don't try to make the high fidelity thing is you'll right. fail and it won't work. <laughs> right. And like the the uh, the litmus test I've always used for 
uh, graphical prowess. Uh, this was back when like the voodoo card was the, the big thing. It's like, we'll know that gaming has passed some threshold when one of the most popular genres of games is the hiking simulator. Yeah. Uh, and oh, what ooh. the hell is fun about <laughs> hiking? Uh, it's everything about hiking is enjoying the, the sights, sounds, and smells of being outdoors uh, and beautiful scenery and the satisfaction of physical exertion. And we are so far from capturing any of those things in a game. We can kind of get visuals that are pleasing enough to make a hiking... I mean, some might say Skyrim is a hiking simulator. <laughs> uh, but... But think about everything else. Everything else that I just mentioned, the the, the, the yeah. sounds, well, maybe a little bit. The smells, forget it. The, the the physical exertion, like we really do need something more. Or like Bree said, just a complete, you know, actually you're sitting entirely motionless in a big tank and you have a little wire going to the back of your brain. That's fine too. Whatever makes it work. But uh, that type of experience, because people do enjoy hiking. They enjoy being outdoors and seeing beautiful scenery and getting exercise. And that's an experience that our current technology utterly fails to provide us, except for in tiny glimpses here and there. And, you know, so VR has a similar long road ahead of us. But if we're going to get to the hiking simulator uh, or the holodeck, whichever thing you want to call it, but I think mm-hmm. you can get to something a satisfying hiking simulator well before you're at full holodeck. Bree, did you read about the um, the Microsoft patent for about uh, novels for the HoloLens? No, that I Geek didn't. Wire talked I about? didn't. I didn't. They actually, uh, there's a patent. I, mean, I think they're not quite sure if it's going to happen, but they have patented this technology to so have... So provisional patent? Um, I'm looking at the article right now. Oh, it's it's immaterial. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Let yeah, me tell you yeah, all yeah, about yeah. patents, right, Brie, because right, 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 right. as an expert in patent, you know, <laughs> filing. <laughs> anyway, so it's basically that when you, you can read the novel aloud and the HoloLens will kind of blend the what the text that it's hearing it'll the text will be tagged so that it will create scenes from the the environment of the book and so that characters will also apparently read the text to you like you'll see their lips move along with your lips which to me introduces a thousand technical problems of like synchronizing that so it's not super uncanny valley so that it's not laggy etc um we we just happened to talk about this on the podcast today because todd bishop from geekwire was on my other podcast gaming with the moms um but that uh, when you're talking about creating um virtual reality or augmented reality stories which one were you talking about I mean, it doesn't look like reading a book out loud which yeah, i don't exactly. do i mean yeah. to me i the the future i think is star trek i mean i think it is the holodeck and i know like after a long day like my favorite novels are snow crash you know shogun i mean it's it's world it's it's stories that really take me to a different universe and a different set of rules and something i think video games just really 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 get wrong is so take take a, a just a full out action novel like say taipan which is you know it's this this romantic story about an opium trader with lots of ship warfare and, and you know, swords and guns and all of you that. You mean Assassin's Creed Four? Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> it's kind of like that. But 90% of the book is not guns and battles. It's yeah. characters talking and having conflict. And yeah. I think this is what modern games get so wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what I think the future looks like, um, I'm very, very skeptical about PCG. 
Um, I think, uh, I'm sorry, that's procedurally generated content. So, you know, something like creates all the levels on the fly. I don't even like it when we dynamically do lip syncing, which I always think looks terrible and and blank. (laughs) But I think eventually we're going to get to a point where you can dynamically create that content in a way where it doesn't feel so empty. And I think that that's going to be like putting people that really care about storytelling in, in, in charge of the PCG. Right now, the way I see PCG implemented in our field is by, um, frankly, engineers that don't care about those areas and want to get it done yeah. fast and save resources. So I, I think the long-term answer for this is like having scenes of a novel like acted out in front of you and like letting you take part in it and like dynamically constructing it. I mean, how do you guys feel about that? I agree with that. And I think that we naturally grasp onto characters Mm -hmm. as people, even, even if they're not hyper realistic. And in fact, I think especially if they're not hyper realistic, I mean, one of the, I've been watching Hunter Hunter recently and that I, I didn't like the art style at first when I was just looking at it, but once I was seeing the characters in action and I was really in that story, it became something that consumed my entire life. And I think that that kind of simpler animation like that is the the field where we could really see people connecting with VR on a visceral, emotional level, if that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, we, we really we seek out characters and I think that we try to find ways to identify with them emotionally no matter what um what the what the they look like rather. So yeah. 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 I think that's the fundamental disconnect is I think the game industry right now will tell you a lot about what a character looks like. Yes. Like when you create a character, you create visual data, but we very rarely give information about what that character is feeling. Yeah, what needs to come through more than what they look like as a person is what they're feeling inside, what their emotions are. So, yeah, John, returning to something you were talking about on this, you've written, like, industry standard reviews of, uh, you know, OS X for a long time. And you're talking about the iPhone and how that kind of was the first standard hardware to kind of, you know, make it a mass market product. Like I had an, a Palm Pilot and other people did, but the iPhone is what made it popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you do you think Apple is going to work in this area? I mean, because this is what I think about a lot. Like what does an OS ten look like or feel like if Apple is getting really serious about solving this problem? I, I'm sure Apple is working on AR and VR stuff internally. Uh, but like almost everything they do, they will work on it, explore things, file a bazillion patents, drive the rumor <laughs> sites crazy with all their patents. Will they be but they, provisional patents? Yeah, but but they won't uh, make a product with it unless they think it's ready. So they're not going yeah. to be, I mean, they were the one with the Newton, right? But the, the, yeah. the new Apple is not going to be the one to make the Palm Pilot because the Palm Pilot wasn't quite there yet, right? Mm-hmm. Even though they tried to buy Palm at various points. Also, about things like the, the the current Apple is going to explore these technologies, and if they're smart, they're going to make sure they don't get left behind. The trick is knowing when to go. Like, is Microsoft too soon with Hololens, uh, or are they too late because Oculus is already ahead of them? Like, it's it's a difficult game for them to play. And the, the rumors of Apple doing a car and everything, like, that's an entirely different direction. But yeah, Apple needs to be exploring these areas. I just it's just so hard to know when to, when to jump. Right. You don't yeah. want to end up with a virtual boy. You want to end up with the Wii, but maybe you don't want to end up with the Wii. Maybe you want to <laughs> like it's, 
it's difficult. So I, I don't envy their position. I, all I can say is they had better be investigating it. Uh, I'm not looking to them, though. I don't know if any of you guys are looking to them. I'm not looking at them to them to solve the world's problems. I'm perfectly happy for some other company to be the one that tracks <laughs> VR. The sacrificial you know? lamb, as it were. Well, well, I just, I think everyone else gets too complicated, you know. So I think they will, I think when they do get into it, they will like managed to simplify it in a way for the mass market. I mean, I don't know if yeah. you've, oh, you haven't messed with the Oculus yet. Like it's, it's a mess. Well, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. for a PC peripheral, <laughs> right? right? It's, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to be like that. And on, on the, getting back to something you said before about the procedural generation stuff, mm-hmm. their procedural generation has a couple of things going for it. Uh, obviously, I mean, you know why they do it, uh, economically and development wise sure. like i mean like no man's sky like you can't make a game like that unless you have an army of people making levels but if you do procedural to make all these planets then you know you get this game with a small dev team blah 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 yeah uh but the thing that procedural generation has behind it is that reality is procedurally generated and so if you, <laughs> if you ever want to get the holodeck you're not going to get the holodeck by having entire planets full of drones making uh you know making materials and building the like you're going to have to define a set of rules, even down to character. You're talking about character before. In the end game, mm-hmm. if you want to have your holodeck episode with Sherlock uh, Holmes in it, he needs to be procedurally generated AI based on the works of Sherlock Holmes, right? You can't have a person there scripting him and everything like that. Like, yeah. Or even if it's just trees and shrubs. Like you have scripted people, a scripted narrative, good writers and everything like that, and you just, and I need a world for it to be in. You procedurally generate the world. You're right. Right now it looks bad. It looks empty. A good level designer can do a, a better job. You can get the sight lines just right. You, it's like set dressing for making a movie. That's where we are now. But along this path, we need to keep investigating procedural generation. We need to keep trying to do it and figuring out how we can make a game that is has some procedurally generated elements, but is also a good game. Because the end game, after we're all gone, is procedural generation. That is the, that is the only way to get large amounts of... of uh, realistic feeling and seeming uh things from scenery up to people so i'm glad that people continue to investigate that yeah i actually agree with that because once you especially once you put a person in the game the person needs to be able to act naturally and not feel like you know in fable when you're running and then you try to jump over a two-foot fence and you can't do it that's the kind of thing that i think would really annoy people in a in a vr game if if they can't do something that they expect to be able to do and i think that having it be procedurally generated would allow more freedom for people to act naturally in a game or even just lip sync like you're complaining about bad lip sync if we had good procedural (laughs) if we had good procedural generation of like how do lips actually work what are the various muscle groups like how (laughs) how do things you know if you could it, because you could this could be done this could be done today with today's technology it would just be your whole game engine just modeling the person's lips right yeah. and teeth and tongue but you could do it uh, right but no one does tongue that right but simulator <laughs> but, but once someone get, once that becomes as standard as it is now to just make a desk and a lamp that shines light yeah. on it which used to be a herculean effort and now you can just buy a bunch of models and put a light in it boom you're done right eventually uh, procedural lip sync will be really good and then it won't be so terrible to have procedural lip sync in a game, and that will <laughs> save money to be put in. Like you, know, every time I think of people, artists, painstakingly crafting something, painting on textures, you know, static light maps that are still used because dynamic lighting is still too expensive in most cases, yeah. and you can just make it look just so with the static light maps. That is wasted human effort, and it's only because we don't have the computing resources to say, can we have like realistic lighting and then have a set designer just say where the lights are instead of painstakingly painting all the oh, places that would be great. <laughs> i love that right lighting but we don't we're not there yet and so like 
the more procedural stuff we can do, the more we can free up people from being like the little magic gnomes that, that yeah. paint your world with tiny paintbrushes and making them do the things that humans are better at, like writing the story or whatever. Well, it's a it's a combination <laughs> right now in the industry. Like, look at um, you know, Saintro uh, got out of hell that just came out. So this is another steel port that they generated. So I mean, someone didn't go through and like rebuild an entire new city like they use the same program for Saintro 3 that they use for Saintro 4 and what they have is like um it's this combination so they have like a set number of building like static meshes i'm using unreal terminology here but like static meshes that they create and car static meshes that they create and then like it creates the world like from a random seed and they do that and then a, an artist goes through by hand and and modifies it like they have Far Cry Four would be a far better example of this. Mm. Like they can go through everything in the environment, and we've had Speed Tree for forever, and you know like we're getting better at doing that. Um, you know, and it's to be clear with the lip sync problem, it's not that the it's a problem of who they hire. It's more of a, a monoculture problem. So like let's take Lightning Returns, Final Fantasy Thirteen Three. Um, so Square is supposed to be the best in the world at narrative and animation and character design and all this beauty. But what they have for Lightning are these blank scenes of her staring forward. And it's not that the it's not that the the lip syncing algorithm they have doesn't catch the T's and the the different mouth shapes mm -hmm. well, which is a reasonable thing to implement given the different languages that this goes to. That works fair enough. The problem is the people that are in charge of it don't think about the facial muscles that go along with it. So yeah. you could very easily like write a, a flag in there that says, for this line, lightning is going to feel frustrated. And then like her body is going to go through a frustrated anim set and like have some facial like reactions and body movement that would convey that and then mix that with like a procedural lip sync that would be something you would buy the effect on but right now like we don't care about it does that make sense yeah, yeah. And, and it's expensive like i mean look yeah. at it, so the the, cho the easier choices are performance capture which is still expensive but it's still way cheaper than hiring the best animators in the world like pixar does to yeah. manually <laughs> like they're not performance capturing buzz lightyear someone is sitting there and you know that is an incredibly highly skilled job to be yeah. able to you know, even performance capture, you need actors and actresses, but but for yeah. for hand animation, and so what you're asking is like, please, I just want you to have like do something with the rest of her face so she doesn't look like she's been shot with Botox and the only thing that moves <laughs> right, in her lips, right? right, right have right. three facial expressions, happy, sad, frustrated, angry, and maybe just put triggers on those in your script. Like, it's a low bar, right? But, yeah, you, you right. know, we're, we're so far from, we know, we know how high it goes because we can see performance capture looks way better and hand-drawn animation by the best animators in the world at great expense also looks way better. You can't have those things because you don't have a hojillion dollars, so... Give me, give me some scripted uh, triggers in your in your dialogue, and and yeah, like the, the it's what they value. You know, they they're not going to sacrifice the soft fuzzy lighting on their CG cutscene for <laughs> to, to have, that, have the people who make that instead do a bunch of triggers for the dialogue sequences that they think people will just tap their way through anyway to get to the battle. Well, you know, I just can't engage with anything unless it has a beautiful lens flare. So I, I need that. I yeah, need that. I'm a millennial. Come on. <laughs> so I want to say one more thing about this before we go yeah. on. Uh, and that is, you know, I've worked with a lot of mocap systems at this at this point. Like I've gone, I've toured different mocap studios. I've looked at it. I've worked on the animation data. I've like talked to people that like write the scripts to pull it from the suits. And like my opinion of where we are right now is 
it is it is a myth that like you just put someone in a suit and capture that data because you have to write like for us it would be python scripts to like transfer the the bone influencing mesh data over to like where you're going to choose for your bones to be but on top of that like every mocap system i've ever seen like the the bones you have drift and you have jitter like it doesn't quite capture it really well and what you have to do inevitably is to have a, a hand animator go through there after the fact and balance it out um it's true that you can have like really like you saw this with Kiefer sutherland for um uh, metal gear solid 5 and they put like hundreds of dots on his face and measured it but even then they had to go through by hand and modify it after the fact to kind of smooth it out and have it make sense because like it's not a one one like shift between that so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's we're a long way from just push the button and have it look realistic (laughs) there was a great making of video for the last of us that i think is on youtube it's a very long very long video but anyway the same thing they did performance capture on all their actors and actresses and they tried to downplay it but you could tell that like yeah we did performance capture and then we had a dozen highly skilled animators quote unquote touch up those animations and in some (laughs) cases you could tell that they kind of like well we did performance capture for that but in the end this particular animation was essentially done entirely by hand so it is a big leg up and it is cheaper than having someone hand animate the whole thing a la pixar yeah Uh, but yeah there's certainly a lot of value to having the reference to how a human body actually moves right yeah what do you guys think about the this article also talks about 3D displays for phones uh, and Apple possibly experimenting with that, but also Ostenda and Leia Incorporated working <laughs> on 3D display that we could have on smartphones. Is that some? <laughs> is that the next the the Palm Pilot basically that we're Amazon going to have? Amazon Fire Phone, you mean? <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> a 3DS, the new yeah, 3DS, 3DS. Much, has yeah. much better viewing angles because it, it was a do eye tracking to figure out how to, to shift the lenticular thing. You have yeah, one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've got that right here in my studio right now. No, um, I I think uh, oh the th- new 3ds. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, be- yeah. It it works well, but it's still pain in the butt. Like it yeah. still flickers a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's it's I I don't think that's the future. Yeah, when I see that in an article, I'm like, what what do they think they mean? Right. You know, it's it's this wonderful trend with with when we talk about Apple. It's like. It's so great because Apple nerds will sit there. It's like they want to invent the future. It's like <laughs> we're taking LSD and like imagining all these wonderful things. Like I remember when they came out, like they were like, oh, the night before the iPad came out, it's going to recognize your face like when you're talking to it as your passcode. And it's all <laughs> this ridiculous stuff we come up with. And it's beautiful and silly. So, But in the world that we live in now, the robot butt exists so do i think we can stop innovation right here right no mankind can go no further so this episode of rocket is sponsored by smile software and pdf pen scan plus which as you know is the numero uno app for mobile scanning and ocr it easily allows you to scan documents directly from your iphone and ipad so it's not only super powerful and super useful it is literally always with you because you know you always have your phone um 
PDF Pen Scan Plus 2.0, the all-important 2.0, was released, and it's a free upgrade for existing users. But if you don't have it, you should totally consider getting it. We all have encountered those moments where we need to use a physical scanner, and it's the worst experience of our lives. Uh, this eliminates all the difficulty involved with that. You just automatically capture the image, crop it, and you can set the size and color depth of the scan right there on your phone or iPad. So just point it and go. Yeah, this and it uh, also synchronizes um, automatically with iCloud or Dropbox, which means you don't even have to worry about emailing it. It just goes right where you need to keep it. You guys use this, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, when we signed our friendship contract with Christina, we used this. So So I hope you have a copy, John. Like, we'll send that over to you. Oh, no, I do. I have all these products. Yes. Because the the plain fact is, at least it's not faxes anymore, but sometimes people want to deal with paper, but they want to deal with a digital version of paper. So you find yourself confronted with both actual paper and PDF versions of paper that you have to manipulate as if they're paper and sometimes turn back into paper. And it is all kind of anachronistic, but digital tools to help us pretend paper doesn't exist are great. Basically, it's magic. So PDF Pen Scan Plus is available um, in the PDF Business Kit bundle with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone for $21.99. And if you just get PDF Pen Scan Plus, it's only $6.99. So that is an awesome deal. You should totally look into it and... um for iPad and iPhone, it's $19.99. Yeah, it's an awesome scanner. If you're not, I mean, if you're not using it, I don't know what you're doing. You're probably in excruciating pain dealing, as John said, (laughs) with physical paper and moving it to places. So yeah, please. And thank you for supporting this episode of Rocket. We love them. Yeah, seriously. And they sent me a sweet mug. Really? I didn't get a mug. You still don't have your mug? Oh, man. All right, all right. We'll we'll talk after the show. <laughs> a sternly worded email. <laughs> Give me a mug. So, all oh. right. Our second topic for today is, yet again, a string of text characters that causes iMessages to the app, to the messages app for iPhone to crash. And this I discovered, I didn't know this, but it's not the first time this has happened, I guess. With strings of characters that cause messages to crash. Do you guys know that? Yeah, yeah. it sounds familiar. And like, yeah. I, I, as a programmer, I would think that by this point, that maybe the second or third time this has happened, that the app uh, would be coded defensively. Because I, my understanding is that the problem, or at least that has been in the past ones, is that someone sends you something, it causes the thing to crash, whatever. But then when you relaunch it, it always tries to restore state, like most iOS apps, to bring you back to where you were before. Yeah. And it just re-triggers the crash. Yeah, And so exactly. defensive programming would be, keep track of if the last time you were launched, you immediately crashed. And don't try to restore state back to where you were. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not great because then you could someone could still manually tap back into that message and go back into it. But this type of thing where now they're in a situation where they have to rush an update out to everyone's phone before, you know, a bunch of kids send this message to everybody and it spreads all over and everyone's messages app is crippled. Yeah. Like just good defensive programming can let people limp along a little bit better. Like figure out the app can figure out when it's in this kind of situation where every time I launch, it seems like I crash three seconds later. Maybe the next time I launch, don't try to restore state to exactly where it was because the last time I did that, I crashed. <laughs> Seems pretty obvious. I mean, but it's iMessages yeah. too. So 
<laughs> oh, and I wanted to work so much. Like, I'm so frustrated with the iMessages at this point. Really? So, you know, well, my, my phone number got doxxed with, uh, you know, by Gamergate uh, yeah. two weeks ago. So I had to go get a new phone number. Um, and I had to keep my old phone number, too, because they keep sending me death threats. So we're trying to get them to prosecute. So it's like, <laughs> I have this old phone up in my house. It's like nothing but to, like, get death threat voicemails. Have they is... sent you this code yet? On I actually, was, that was the first thing that I thought of when I read this was some jerk is going to send this to Brie. Not that I want to put that idea out there. Yeah, but. yeah, I don't think Gamergate listens to the show. But when when I got that, when I got my new number, I said to myself, like I was at AT and I said, I bet you a hundred dollars that changing my phone number is going to screw up every iMessage device that I have. And I was so right. It's broken on my Mac right now, and I've wasted like two hours trying to figure oh out how God. to get it not. It doesn't work on my iPad. So the only place I can get text messages or anything is on my phone right now. And it's just very frustrating so how does that happen uh i think like my my theory is it's some like certificate thing that's behind it like you know it's a security certificate and then all of a sudden it's not the same phone number associated Mm -hmm. with it so it's fine if my so it's storing the certificate and yeah exactly um these iMessage problems are mostly self-inflicted and it's sad because apple was trying to do the right thing with yeah. iMessage like their their whole the whole thing with iMessage is it, it's the security they're trying to create here is a situation in which in theory although probably not in practice but in theory uh apple can't decrypt any of your messages so yeah. that mm-hmm. means every single device has its own uh, encryption keys that never leave the device and that means anytime okay. you activate a device on iMessage it needs to generate new sets of uh, public and private key pairs and send the public ones up to apple servers and so every time you send a message and it, and it goes on like all your devices it's actually sending the message and encrypting it multiple times for multiple devices oh, and this God. sort of this end-to-end encryption and having everything be unique is like well that's an admirable goal like security keep your stuff private it, get, it gets apple out of the business of you know if the government comes to them and says we want to see all the iMessage traffic apple can be like oh we can't even decrypt the iMessage traffic the keys, are, <laughs> the keys are on people's devices we don't have access to them blah 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 again because they have the key exchange server that's maybe like if apple wanted to write a backdoor it could but it, it says it doesn't have one and i believe them because it gets them out of all sorts of legal trouble but it means that the system is way more complicated than it would be if it was just plain text like spray the message out to everybody like you know yeah. Yeah. AOL and some messenger worked fine because there was no security and nobody <laughs> cared now they're trying to do the right thing with security but they've made the implementation fragile enough that anytime you perturb it in any way by getting a new phone number getting a new device or it somehow gets scrambled up somewhere you get in these terrible situations and even just in that i have a single set of devices that doesn't change very often and just in the course of like a normal conversation i have like a group i message with me marco and casey right uh and we'll be in the middle of that conversation and the next message from marco will start a new conversation with the same three participants <laughs> and then my re- do i reply to it in that conversation or there and like it, it, they splinter off into groups and they merge back in together and sometimes it, the history is not the same on my mac and on my ios devices i i feel like we have taken a step backwards in reliability and consistency from aol instant messenger yeah, uh, but in the service of trying, <laughs> in the service of trying to have more security, which I applaud, it's just that it's not, yeah. in, it's not working out. I I agree with that, but I mean, I often sit there and it's like. So when I get like a new iPhone, right, and then I I sign into it and then it says like, hey, we need you to go to another Apple device and then click that it's okay for this, you know, iMessages account. And I know that it's like getting the encrypted key pair and like, like you said, sending it up and pushing over to the phone, which I appreciate. But I also really wonder 
if normal people are going to be able to to do this. I mean, you know, like I message like I mean, I feel like the overall system of iCloud is up to a certain level of reliability. And what I mean by that is if I make a document on my Mac, it generally shows up on my iPad and my iPhone. And like, I don't worry that it's going to just disappear when I save it there. Like I used to, but, but I worry that, let me give you an example. So my, my iMessage account is a 50 digit randomly, you know, generate a password with one password. So every time I install a Mac update, because it cares about security, it goes back and wants me to re-enter that password. So you know, then I invariably have to say no, set up later, and then I'll like go into one password and then go to like four different menus and re-enter it in there. And that's an even worse situation when it's on a phone and I like, you know, God. wipe the operating system to put some developer preview or do some dev thing on it. And I often like think about a normal person. And like it's just a fact, like my husband is an intelligent man, he has a PhD in bacterial genetics. But he just, it's its past a point where he can understand this stuff. And I, I really worry about that for normal people. I think normal people's mm-hmm. passwords are pencil 69 and they don't have to worry about this problem. <laughs> but like, but even, even when normal people get it set up, like, oh, I went, they don't, you know, it's a setup procedure. They just do whatever the prompts tell them to do. They enter their really weak password. After it's set up, I think the, I, I, at this point, I don't even know how it's supposed to work. But I think the mental model most people have is, if I have a conversation via iMessage, no matter where I do it, if I have the conversation on my Mac, I have it on my phone, I have it on my iPad, the conversation is the conversation. And if I put that device down and go to a different device and look at that conversation, it'll look exactly like it did the last time I saw it on my other device, mm-hmm. plus or minus any new messages that people have sent. And that is just yeah. not the case. And that then people have questions. Why did they not reply? I thought they did reply. I saw their reply over here, but I didn't see it over there. Why did this conversation split into two? Why is this one conversation here and two conversations there? Why does this person show up as a phone number here and a name there? Why does their avatar picture look different? All these questions. And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's like, just iMessage, right? That it yeah. is that, cons- that the consistency of the, to get comfortable like you are now, apparently, although I still would not be, the, that you're going to edit a document and it will appear on all your devices, you know, the documents in the cloud stuff and uh-huh. the iCloud drive and everything, which has gotten way better. That's definitely true. You have to reach some minimum level of like, you have shown me consistently that you will do this thing that I expect you to do and now yeah. I trust you. And iMessage just never quite gets up to that point where you trust it. I mean, it's okay because my instant messages are like, you don't really care. They're kind of throwaway or whatever, but it's, it's galling to me because it seems so simple. It's just, it's just text. It's just a text conversation with a bunch of people and I want it to be the same everywhere. Do you think they would have to sacrifice the security to make it more consistent? Theoretically, no. Practically speaking, yeah. like that would probably help, but it's a non-starter. You're not going. They're not going to tear out the security. They should just make yeah. it work with the security. Is this the Palm Pilot of security? I don't. I don't understand what the hangup is because, like, other. I mean, maybe other systems aren't as secure or aren't secure in the same way. But mm-hmm. for example, Google Talk. Uh, it's the same in my Gmail web browser window as it is everywhere else. Like they, they've even got yeah. this working across the web. Like the conversation is just, it's it's much more consistent than iMessage. Maybe it's the legacy of SMS and they have to interoperate with SMS and that complicates things. I don't know the details. All I know is I just want it to work. And I feel like this is yeah. within our grasp technologically and it's frustrating <laughs> that they keep dropping the ball. Texting is something that we theoretically mastered years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's- I, I, have you been able to get Yosemite to text message from your iPhone? 
Or do you even have an iPhone? I remember back on Hypercritical, you didn't have one. No, have I have one, one now. now. Okay, I, you have one now. Yeah. Yeah, and I message, I message for my work Mac, my home Mac, my iPhone, and even sometimes my iPad. And if I was to line up all those devices and pull up a conversation, I bet you see three <laughs> different three different versions right now. They'd be yeah. similar. There'd be some messages in common, but some messages would only be on one, depending on where I was and when I sent it. And and at this point, I can't even tell if that's a feature or a bug. Like. <laughs> if that device was if that device was turned off when the message was sent, does that mean it's never going to get the message? At first, I thought that was the model, and I was just misunderstanding it. But then I would see cases where later on those messages do appear. But only some of them do, and I'm I'm just totally confused. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> I don't know. I I guess I would say just on a positive note, like I feel like I feel like Mobile Me was such a huge mistake, and there was so much conversation about the North Carolina data facility and Apple <laughs> like before before iCloud really rolled out. It has been a slow launch, but I think that I think iMessage aside, I think that Apple is getting better at data services for everybody. I mean, like iTunes Match, for example, this is something mm -hmm. generally just works for me. Um, you know, Beats generally just works, although I don't know if that's on the same system. But like, there are a lot of, uh, you know, like um, MobileMe um, messages, like the IMAP um, email account, like that is generally very reliable for me. And I think even though this is very bad, I think it's to Apple's credit how much better they've gotten at these kind of, you you know, mass market targeted consumer services or do you not agree with that i think they've definitely gotten better like they yeah in some respects they had nowhere to go but up but yeah they have definitely gotten better <laughs> they are making progress it's not as if that like it yeah, I, they full credit for making many things better some things way way better than they used to be they're just there's you know there's more that needs to be done yeah, yeah, definitely. To, to more than me to do, not just to meet some ideal of like, oh, Apple should do everything perfectly, but just merely to get up to the level of competency of their fiercest competitors. Because yeah. Google and Microsoft, those uh, those are companies, and even Facebook for that matter, those companies do this type of stuff better, and those are Apple's competitors. So we're not asking for the moon; we're just saying uh, compete with the the other companies that are trying to eat your lunch. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's worth saying none of those companies care about your security in the same way Apple does. <laughs> like, Google Very is not going to go out of their way to make sure, oh, we can't read your data. I just don't see them doing that. We love your data. We love it we so love much. It, right, we want to see right, all right. of it. It's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, two sides of the same coin, I guess. Should we go on to dessert? Let's do it. Let's do it. Rihanna, you saw Tomorrowland, which is a film with George Clooney. Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> I I would I so want to hear you talk about this because I saw the trailer and literally every line sounded like a cliche. And I, but I was really happy to hear that you liked it because it you had it had a really positive effect on you. So tell us about Tomorrowland. So I have a I have a long history of I I swear this is not intentional. Like I don't sit there and go like <laughs> I'm gonna like things that everyone hates <laughs> and I'm gonna hate things that everyone likes. But I I was really confused because like my my friend uh, Scott, who's a, a major major movie critic, um, like he was just blasting this movie before it came out in the in the theaters, and I was really going into expecting to like the last act of it to be completely muddled. And yeah. you know, anytime you go and see a Disney movie, you're you're worried that it's going to be like you know, basically <laughs> stuff for kids. No offense, um, you know, like. 
you're worried it's gonna be bad love or, children or at least maudlin and it's like but i love this movie i really love this movie i left this movie feeling so inspired i mm-hmm. thought the heroine casey was just super relatable and likable and i think like being someone that works in technology i know i definitely fall into this trap of negativity and uh-huh. there's this wonderful motif through the whole movie of like look are you going to be the person that like looks at the situation and feels despair or this person feels hope about it and goes and changes it. So um, I thought it was just a wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, John, I know you saw it. What else? What did you think of it? So for this movie, uh, the first thing I want to say is that I think the teaser trailer for Tomorrowland is one of the best trailers I've ever seen. I kind of, I kind of judge trailers totally separately Mm -hmm. from movies. There have been some great trailers. Uh, This one I thought was amazing. Uh, it was a well-done trailer, and I think it reached the audience that it was intending to reach. And when I went to see Tomorrowland, I took my kids because I showed my kids these tra- this trailer because I thought they would like it. And both yeah. of them were entranced by the trailer, and they wanted to see the movie, and we took them to it. And I think it's a great movie to take your kids to, speaking of Disney things being for kids. <laughs> for, for me, watching the movie, uh, I didn't dislike it. I think it's fine. Uh, I just, for for a sort of a sophisticated adult audience the 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 message of the movie is a little pat a little bit a little bit simple like and i I don't say that every movie has to be dystopian i kind of like where they were trying to go with the movie but Mm -hmm. the sort of the sort of utopian fantasy uh just a little bit optimism plus uh our vision of the future in the 50s uh (laughs) will will equal that that will help us save the earth like I mean, maybe maybe I have consumed too much dystopian uh, literature, but like it's hard to look at this movie and say, "Guys, have have you heard about Rapture?" (laughs) (laughs) Like this, I know you think this is going to work out, but anyway, it's it's not that bad. But like, they have an uplifting message, but it is very simplified, and I think that's appropriate for kids. I think it's fine to have a movie like that. I don't think it needs to be uh, super sophisticated or dark or anything like that. I'm just not entirely sure mm-hmm. that the movie was fleshed out as well as it could be. Because what what you want, like yeah, the gold standards like Pixar, where it is it is a great movie for kids, but it also has some sophistication for adults. Uh, I, saw, I think I saw a tweet from uh, from Faith Corpy of uh, IRL Talk fame uh, that she thought it was a 20 minute movie surrounded by a 90 minute Disney ride. Which <laughs> is not a damning review because who doesn't like a Disney ride, right? True. Uh, and I think, again, I think this is a fun movie. It's a good movie to take your kids to. I'm just not entirely sure it achieves the level of greatness that that I was hoping for uh, for it to achieve. Mm. Um, but but all the stuff that's in there, like uh, they did a really good job. I, I'm glad my kids saw this movie because it is it is inspiring to kids. It is generally avoids most of the traps in terms of uh you know movie cliches and casting uh of defining a world where all sorts of different people get to do things that's really Uh, cool george george clooney is like he is not the big action star of the movie he's so unlikable he, he, he does not dominate the movie and they did a really good job i think of casting this movie and making the story making the people who make the story move not be your typical people that you see in movies and didn't hit you over the head with it. So I think that is an incredibly positive development. I think the fact that it's a fun Disney ride with an uplifting message for kids mm-hmm. is great. Uh, but come Oscar time, I don't expect to see well, Tomorrowland up for much of anything except for visual effects. 
That's interesting what you mentioned about the people pushing the story because the trailer, not the teaser trailer, but the longer trailer that I saw, I think before Age of Ultron, definitely positioned George Clooney as one of the main movers and shakers of the plot, I guess. Uh, I'm not surprised that that was a marketing move, but I am relieved, I guess, to hear that it is not con- or, uh, consistent with the film itself. Is the teenage girl more of a, a big... I, I closed my eyes during the later oh. trailers because Brad Bird told me on Twitter not to watch the later trailers. So I don't know <laughs> what was in tra- We don't know what was right in trailer that. two and three, but in, in the movie, so there's the girl lead character who you see in the teaser trailer, and she is the prime mover and shaker in the movie. Nice. George Clooney, they yep. have to put his face in the trailer because he gets the butts in the seats in the theaters, Heck right? Yeah. It's George Clooney, he's the biggest star, so on and so forth. But he is the reluctant passenger for most of this movie. And the other nice. character, I don't know if they show her at all, there's another girl character in the movie who is you know george clooney, george clooney is third so it's like the female lead the smaller uh girl character i don't want to spoil the story and then george clooney along for the ride and then some other like it's uh, you know it I, is not I, you know they, they he once he's on the screen he doesn't just take over the movie and make them do everything but but i'm saying like even for stuff like just they do a lot of casting of uh you know the vision of the future the utopian vision of the future and the utopian vision of the future unlike unfortunately the vision of the future and like epcot center and all that <laughs> or or levittown for that matter it's like the vision of the future here actually includes people other than white people which is nice Yay. right well, and, when the movie's over because it's white 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 all the way through it well I no but just think say, they did a good yeah. job with like the you know when when she's i don't want to ruin the, the movie yeah, we but anyway yeah. like they're they're they just background people and extras or whatever gender uh, uh, proportions and race yes. proportions are very reasonable in a way that uh, like i think most people won't even notice because it's not like they're trying to hit you over the head with it but it's if you look for it you realize how different this movie is than in, uh, so many other movies and so that's just that's just another axis along which i think they mm-hmm. have done a good job to have a good movie again a good movie for kids to show them uh you know in- incidental people and extras and background uh, in a movie, not to mention the leads doing all the stuff that are more reflective of the people who live on planet Earth and not just the people who make movies in America. I, I, I guess I'd have to ask you, John, like, I mean, what about the movie seemed like pop to you? Because, I mean, to me, I'm as cynical and cold-hearted a person <laughs> as you can find. And I, I really felt like it's like when you go to Disney World and you go on the carousel of tomorrow, like it's it's very maudlin, right? Um, to me, this lacked that kind of idealistic sentimentality. Like everything they were saying seemed like very pragmatic thoughts for the world that we currently live in, not like an idealized Disney world. And I think for me, just to tell like a a very quick story, like before I went and saw Tomorrowland, I was watching on HBO go and I see the next to last episode of, um, of newsroom. And there's this incredibly dark scene where they bring in someone to talk about global warming and talking about like the actual damage done to our planet. And like a lot of people, like I sit here with global warming, and I know it's important, but I personally can't do anything about it. And like they're talking about how like children of people I know now will die due to climate change. Yeah. <laughs> and it's possible that human life may not be able to go on. And I go and look at the science of it after watching that episode, and they're completely right. And I felt so down about that. And then I see this movie where they're talking about that same problem, but it's not this, like, 
we're all doomed, humanity's doomed, humanity's doomed. Like, they're talking about global warming and the same thing. Like, how are we going to fix this? This is something if we look at this positively and don't just embrace this dark fate, like, we can we can change the world. And I, I was really moved by that message. Yeah, I, I think the reason I thought it was it was kind of trite was not so much that I disagree with the, the, the idea that we should try, but, like, the, the solution presented in the movie is that really smart people should go off somewhere where they're finally allowed to do, <laughs> finally allowed to do, to do their good work. Is it sounding familiar to, you know, yeah. Bioshock yep. fans? Finally, right. we can do the work that we know how to do without the constraints of, right? And that's... That's Society their that's their fix. Morals. Is like if only if only you would let the smart people do what they want to do, which involves making jetpacks, then we could solve <laughs> your problem. But it's like that's I would it would be better if you found a way to convince to, to work within the system to mm-hmm. convince the you know like governing is about getting everyone to move towards a, a common good together. You can't go off to the side and solve it over there and then come back and say hey we fixed everything because especially if they're keeping the jetpacks for themselves like yeah, that's not cool are. i want the jetpack yeah. yeah well i mean, I mean yeah, again i don't want to ruin the whole movie but anyway, it's, it, it's it's not it's not a I don't, i'm not nitpicking like oh this is not a realistic way to solve problems but like i the message of optimism is good the mm-hmm. message of how we how humanity can save ourselves seems like a situation that would absolutely not work yeah i get what you're saying because there is i think a lot of damage and isolating the quote-unquote intellectual class from the masses that creates a lot of i think tension that you see obviously in bioshock of course this is a disney movie so they're not gonna portray that um but i totally see where you're coming from with that we need to I mean, look ideally, at academia. Yeah. Like, just yeah, go to any which university. Is I mean, no offense. Like, my husband, like, he feels very strongly about not wanting to work in academia and to go and work in in a for a corporation <laughs> like, because he feels like there there are fewer politics. That's true, especially with and, social issues. You right. have these people who are trained to write and expand on their ideas in a language that no one else can understand. It becomes very yeah. insular. It becomes sort of a a contest of it, it removes itself completely from any application. And I think there's a lot of value in thought and in ideas, but I also think that that always needs to be connected to people who have immediate needs and need those ha- need to have those needs met. Oh my God, need, need, yeah, need. Absolutely. Again, I'm very eloquent today. But <laughs> no, yeah. There's, I mean, John, I would love your, your thoughts on this. There's a sign in one of the backgrounds in there that really pissed me off as someone <laughs> that works, you know, making software all day long it's a lovely disney sentiment but i think it's a really dangerous idea is to frankly give the girls that i hope we're gonna go watch this movie it's a sign that says imagination is more important than knowledge and i think that's flat out unbelievably false and stupid um you know in gamed out for instance we have mm-hmm. everybody loves games and wants to make a game we don't need new ideas for games. We need people that can bring ideas to fruition and operate within reality to make that happen. And that kind of maturity and wisdom and, frankly, tactical knowledge, it's the difference between a wannabe and a professional game developer. Mm -hmm. And I think that... Yeah, you know, that's not to say that we can't have less technical roles in, in game dev. Like we have marketers and writers, which is a more technical job than you would guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that you got to have a skill to get things done. And I, I thought that was a really dumb message. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's yeah. different messages for different audiences. Okay. So when you're a kid, you need someone to tell you 
that imagination is important. Like this is what yeah. you need to hear when you're a kid. You need to you need to not be told that you don't have the skills. You need to not be shoved into like you need to go to yeah. vocational school and learn how to like <laughs> when you're a kid, you need to be taught about imagination. And then as you become an adult, you learn, okay, you actually need to know how to do something. Like your hopefully your imagination catapults you into a career where you will acquire skills and knowledge. And then I think at the far end of the spectrum if you are at the very top of your field, you get to the Albert Einstein quote, who knows if it was even really mm -hmm. him or whatever, but you see it on posters like, uh, you know, it, what is it like 99% uh, perspiration and 1% inspiration or whatever, like the, yeah. the, the hard work yeah. of like, like that, uh, that you need the imagination at the high end. Like, okay, I've learned everything there is to know. I'm at the top of my field. Now I need to come up with a new idea. And all of a sudden, I mean, again, you know, ask your husband about PhDs. Like, they want you to find something new. They don't, like, okay, we've taught you everything that we can teach you. You've gone to school. We've taught you the state mm -hmm. of the art in your field. Now it's your job to teach us something. Tell us, discover something new. Do some small, make some small dent in the universe. And all of a sudden, you're like, if you spent all your time working on knowledge and everything, now again, you need imagination because that's the only way we progress is to imagine, you know, Einstein imagining relativity and all these things that that, uh, that uh, questions assumptions, right? And so that's the continuum. But children need to hear that ideas are really important. Most of us as adults need to acquire skills and do things. And then at the very high end, which I think is what this movie is going towards, is uh, if you are like the lead in this movie and acquire lots of skills and become very knowledgeable and everything, at a certain point, it is incumbent upon you to think of how you can move the human race forward by thinking of something that no one else has thought of before. Yeah. And it, rather than just taking instruction from other people, I'm going to come up with something new. And that that's what they were trying to go with the message in this movie. I think a, a more realistic, uh, inspirational, optimistic message would be, how do we convince the rest of the people on the planet that funding space exploration <laughs> is a good <laughs> idea? Yeah. They, that, that global warming is real. That, you know, like whatever your political, uh. like all these things, technological things, it's like, all right. I believe that and you believe that, but us going off together where we agree and making fantastical things with, and then coming back and presenting them to the world will still be stuck with the world that doesn't believe that we should fund schools or libraries anymore yeah. or whatever, you know? <laughs> Hopefully in Disney World, schools and libraries are fully funded and everyone has a healthy balance of imagination and knowledge so that they can go I, through I, their lives. I think they would. Yeah, and tomorrow, yeah. again, Tomorrowland as a kids movie, that's what kids need yeah. to hear. I think it is great for them to hear it. I think Disneyland is great for kids and adults to get in touch mm -hmm. with that. But but I think the movie itself is, uh, I don't want to fault it for not being as sophisticated as a Pixar movie because that's a high bar. But uh, yeah. I, again, I think, you know, I, I would encourage everyone to see it, even if you don't have kids, because uh, it, it is visually a treat and it is like a big, uh, long Disney ride. Nice. I, I, I guess I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I mean, for me, I have I, I feel so strongly about the women in tech issue. And I put sanity, sweat, time like I could have done so much more with my career in the last nine months than take the hits I have. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's like I'm someone who fundamentally wants to like change the world to be better. I mean, you know, this is fundamentally about people's daughters being able to go into this field and work with this really awesome stuff. That's like the next generation of like human evolution. Like the really important stuff that we're doing is like we're building, we're setting the building blocks for it yeah. right now. And I, I, I can say like, I, I respect where you're coming from. I found this to be a reasonably sophisticated movie or at least the motifs to be enjoyable for me as an adult. But, so, but you're you trying know, to fix yeah. the industry that we have here, right? Imagine yeah. if you went off into another dimension and brought a bunch of women with you and made yeah. awesome games over there and then came back and presented us with the games. It would be an achievement, yes, but yeah. not the same achievement as 
why can't we fix the industry that we have now? Why can't we I, make it better yeah. for everybody in this world instead of just for us in the pocket dimension over there? Right? I couldn't agree more. And, and I that, couldn't agree more. Th the solution presented in Tomorrowland is don't worry about trying to change hearts and minds and do the hard work of changing the, the world as it exists today. Go off into this other place with people who agree with you and do a fantastical thing. And maybe you can come <laughs> Maybe you can come back and present everyone with it. And they'll be like, hey, problem solved. No, problem solved over there. Problem still not solved over here. And that's much harder to do. And again, I don't think it's a message you need to like that sophistication and that that particular dark side doesn't need to presented to be presented to children but i think for adults not to be not to kind of look at this movie askance as kind of like well nice story for kids but kind of silly because it does it does have a sort of kind of moralizing message and it's difficult to walk that line to have a message like that that uh that adults will accept and not reject as too simplified or too you know, like a Forrest Gump had a similar problem. Cause again, another yeah, movie mm -hmm. with an uplisting optimistic message, it kind of undercut it by, by being silly and funny and sort of knowing, uh, you know, knowingly winking and nodding, like, isn't this silly everybody. And that kind of inoculates people to accept the, the goofy optimism in the movies are like, Oh, it knows it's laughing at itself, but then you absorb the optimism. Tomorrowland seemed more earnest. And so that's why I think feel like it bounced off a little bit. My, cynical shell all right all right fair <laughs> enough I, I strongly agree with you though like we need to do it here in this reality um mm -hmm. like one of the books I'm, I'm reading right now it's on the psychology of people that want to defund schools and don't want to go for the for the moon it's a it's a God. really interesting human problem in the sense that yeah yeah i, I don't want to get political but it's it's very interesting because you have two groups of people that are fundamentally driven by different psychological factors and like input information in their brains in different ways and it's it's like a it's like the technology all around us has magnified that tendency to such a point where i don't see a human race where we're not divided going forward so i think well, it's very interesting cynical <laughs> i know well, it's, I mean, it's, it's science I thought we were going to be so. unified under the rule of destruct the x no right. that's not going to yeah. <laughs> Once I got my rocket launcher, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna try to get Massachusetts to repeal this loss. So I can't wait till you are our inevitable overlord. <laughs> That's great. Queen that in the East, wicked well. witch of the East, really. That will work out well. Actually, yeah. good witch of the East. My bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Brianna, I almost said Christina. Ah, uh, I miss her. Brianna, what are you working on this week? You know, I am um, I'm working on a design document for uh, a lot of the virtual reality problems that we were talking about today. So mm -hmm. I actually spent all weekend reading psychology textbooks um, because, you know, the next game that we're going to be announcing very soon, um, you know, there's no gunplay, there's no shooting people, there's no combat. It's It's just we're trying to take dialogue to a really advanced place so what we're trying to do is do it's it's really complicated because we want psychological principles mm -hmm. of how people interact and how some people don't like each other it's, it happens because we we prioritize different things emotionally and take different things in our brain so i'm trying to like come up with a computer model of how you simulate conversation between two people and get oh, the wow. nuances of why people like other people or don't like other people, but also simplify it in a way that's not really wonky and, you know, Microsoft Windows-y with, <laughs> with the interaction. So it's actually a really big challenge. So that's what I'm working on this week. It's fascinating. John, what are so. you working on? 
I'm working hard on seeing Mad Max this weekend. That's, oh, that's the entirety of my plan. <laughs> yeah, this weekend we saw Tomorrowland with the family. I'll be seeing Mad Max without the family. Ah, so I liked Mad Max, uh-huh. but I think uh, I I got to agree with Anita on this. I think it's a good movie. Okay. I don't think it's the most feminist movie I've ever Here's seen. Here's so. a thing, and there, there I've seen some tweets about this that kind of. Um, reflect my opinions on this i don't think that a piece of media can be a feminist piece of media i think that it can be influenced by feminist ideals i think a piece of media can be examined through a feminist lens but i don't think that it can exist inherently unto itself as a feminist piece of media just because as we as individual human beings look at that piece of media and interact with it we're all coming from our own no matter who we are we're coming from our own personal brand of feminism brand is a horrible Uh word to use there but you know (laughs) we all have our own experiences and also our own ideals of what feminism feminism should be so i think it's really hard to say and and i know a lot of the the people that are saying it's a the most feminist movie ever (laughs) that's kind of like the tagline for these mainstream news outlets that are talking about mad max and trying to i guess get clicks off of the whole mra butthurt scandal <laughs> i shouldn't use the word butthurt but whatever um so I, I i kind of i think it's almost i totally appreciate what anita is saying i think it's really fair like that this this movie didn't do it for her it did not serve what her what she wants to see in a feminist piece of media that is totally legit i think for a lot of people it did reflect what they wanted to see in a feminist sure. piece of media that's also totally legit um but I also think that to 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 stop the conversation at this is feminist, this is not feminist is really it's really lazy, I guess, as a critique. I'm not saying you're lazy, but like to to say that the the conversation is this kind of good bad paradigm of something is good and feminist, something is less good and not feminist. It's just kind of that's a boring conversation for me. I'd rather discuss like the ways in which it serves me, but then underserves someone else like Anita, who wants to see movies about women where women are not engaging in violence because violence, violence in the real world is really, oh my God, I'm going on. (laughs) Violence in the real world is really patriarchal. And it's something that, you know, we, feminism often talks about, you know, we don't want the draft to exist. When we sit, when when men um, MRAs say, "Well, women don't get drafted for the army. That's not fair." The point is not that women should also be drafted for the army. The point is that there should be no draft. That we should demilitarize things like that. So I, th- I think that's kind of where Anita may be coming from, looking at this movie. Um, but on the other hand, I I enjoy violence as an escapist fantasy. So yeah. you know everyone's right in the end <laughs> yeah it's a lot it's a lot to hang on one movie like i, I imagine when when they're making this movie like i mean maybe they had some ideas to, like we were going to uh not be conventional and and subvert some of the uh more frequent uh you know cliches that you see in movies or whatever but mostly i imagine like unless they're they're making a purpose-built vehicle with a message of a particular brand of feminism exactly uh, everything is people hanging expectations on this so we all want to see media that furthers at the very least media that deviates from the norm that we find unacceptable and in ways that we find unacceptable can we make movies that are different in these ways uh everything beyond that it's like you said it's like well 
did this thing deviate from the norms and, and did it go as far as you wanted? Did it, you know, different yeah. different flavors of feminism, let's say, of like, was it modeling a version of feminism uh, where people criticize it to say, like, that women have to be like men in order to be empowered and, you know, yeah. be macho, violent or whatever. But on the other hand, people like, sometimes I want to see a movie with a woman who is empowered in exactly that way. Because for me personally, that's something I have never seen before and it appeals to me, right? Yeah. And so... Those, like any other piece of art, it's uh, unless it, I feel like it is espousing a specific message. I, mean, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't say what it's going to be. Like. Unless, <laughs> unless it is, unless it is espousing a specific message, it's really just like someone made this thing, and uh, you know, yeah. how, how we impose our views on it. Really, yeah. Well, and what and what do you and and they they surely had something they were trying to say in the movie. How much do you agree with what they were going to say? Criticize it for failing to mm-hmm. convey the message they thought they were conveying, criticizing it for like it may have been doing something they didn't expect, criticize it because you don't agree with the message they were trying to convey. And that's all fair, I think. Yeah. But boy, that's a lot of expectations to put on a yeah. movie. So I'm trying to go into it <laughs> to say, I don't even think I'm going to like it as much as most people because I tend not to like kind of mindless action movies. They're not yeah. my cup of tea, but people say this is a good one. So I'm going to go in and watch it and see like everyone else has already seen it. I've read all the people talking about it. I've read all the tweets <laughs> about it. you read the think pieces. Yeah. So now I'm just going to go in and go, like again, I I never the trailers did not get me excited. I tend not to like mindless action movies of any stripe. Maybe this one will show me something. Maybe mm-hmm. it won't. But we well, uh, should know that it's the most feminist movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm I, I'm definitely not going in with that expectation. I'm On a scale of not. one to ten. It's an 11. Yeah. yeah can, can I clarify my thoughts on yeah, this totally. really quickly? I'd love so, to hear your thoughts. I'm yeah, sorry no. Christina isn't here. No, 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 no. Um, so I, I I completely agree with what you said, Simone. And mm-hmm. I this is a good movie. And John, I think you're going to like it in the sense that it's a movie that doesn't follow this like Marvel formula that we're kind of used to at this point. Like I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I was kind of bored when I saw Avengers because I feel like I, they've got this Marvel formula so perfected. This is very much taken from the seventies kind of art house pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful in a lot of ways. Uh, the, the character moments are pretty much non-existent. They ad libbed a lot of it. So, this is an enjoyable movie. I enjoyed this movie because it was an action movie that I have not seen. Mm-hmm. In addition, I enjoyed this movie because, generally speaking, it treated the women as people. Yeah. And, you know, it it's a lot deeper than just women get to kill people, too. Like, you see women caring <laughs> for each other and... And, you know, women of all different ages being present rather than, you know, only women in their early 20s getting to be in a movie. Subverting a particular expectation of Western movies, which is good. And that's why people are giving a thumbs up. But there are many other ways in which they are conforming. And so. Correct. Well, I I guess I'm just saying, you know, it's really hard for me because anything I say on this topic, I worry could be used to undermine things that I'm I'm I've. I work for actively. Yeah. But I think it's important to say, like, Anita Sarkeesian, as much as I love her work and respect her, doesn't speak for me. And she doesn't speak for a lot of feminists. Like, she has Mm -hmm. a very particular view. She tends to have very... um, She's not a really big fan of sex in general. And, like, it's... She has a very specific school of critique. It's more... Mm -hmm. It's more... It's very academic. And I think that's awesome. And I agree with her most of the time. I think, like, her interpretation of this was a little harsh. And I think, like, 
expecting Mad Max to be like a feminist utopia movie <laughs> without <laughs> violence is is not realistic, and that's yeah. not her point. My my point is like what you guys said, like portraying this movie as like the ultimate feminist movie is just not accurate or fair because it's yeah. it's not it is enjoyable for many reasons but it's not the ultimate feminist movie it frustrates me a lot because on the one hand i'm like yay i want people to use feminist not as a dirty word but i sure. also don't want it to be so simplified to the point where like i said before if you call something feminist it means it's good if you call right. something not feminist it means it's bad there are tons of things that i enjoy that are like really super problematic but are are, are good they're good sure. and yeah. so yeah that's why i just kind of yeah and it's, I, so, I think it's, and really... it's so hard to make a good movie period like oh, the, the, oh, yeah. the, like you can make it you could have you could have feminist ideals that completely agree with some person in your audience but if you make a lousy movie they're not going to like your movie yeah. they're like well yeah. i agree with your ideas about feminism but you made a lousy movie because <laughs> like, i mean it's like what think of all the moving parts that go into the movie it's it's an incredibly oh. complicated artistic endeavor and this is just one axis along which to judge it and did uh, you read about the cars sorry have you read about like yeah, the cars yeah, that they built yes, in the yes. desert okay yes yeah. like that like yeah the, the whole making up thing like that that's that stuff does appeal to me a little bit i just i know from from experience that like a lot of sort of dumb action movies that people like i'm like i watch them and i'm not as excited about them because i i mean i guess i'm looking yeah. for either like a sci-fi premise that i'm very interested in or or you know deep character movies like i i know what kind of movies i like but i'm, I'm going to see this because so many people have talked about it that i feel like i have to see it to be part of the culture and to know what the <laughs> heck everyone is talking about and and who knows maybe i'll like it but you know it it, and uh, with uh, Anita's uh, critique of these things, I kind of understand where she's coming from because I have the same bent where it's like, uh, so this movie did a bunch of good things, but also there's still places it could be criticized. And she is going to tell you all the places that she thinks it still needs to be totally. criticized. And then people are like, well, can't you give the movie credit for doing good thing X and good thing Y? <laughs> then I think she does give it credit, but her position as a critic is always as, and I have been in this position many times, having done a podcast called Hypercritical to say, Yep, good things. Lots of good things. Lots of progress being made. Now let me tell you about all the places where I feel they have still fallen short. And that is, that is the role yeah. of a critic. And I think people get upset because they're like, you know, I want you to be uncritically uh, praising everything. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to find the things that's wrong with it. That's my job. Like, that's yeah. that's what I'm doing. And it's not like I'm doing it to be negative or whatever. Give credit where credit is due. But her job is not to be a cheerleader of people yeah. who do one small step toward. Like, that is someone else's job. There are many roles in any sort of movement yeah. or cause and i don't think everyone has to fulfill every role and so i'm perfectly happy to see her continue to be the very demanding idealistic yes. critic critic according to her beliefs because that yeah. is the role she's decided to fill and that, that is, so that is her job important. that is yeah. what she's she's not an engineer she's not a game developer she is choosing to make a gro a job and a career out of being a feminist critic yep. and she critiqued this movie so how dare she be so critical something else right right <laughs> oh it's just silly it's just silly yeah. cool i feel like this was a very good episode of rocket john i feel like this is a very good episode I'm, of rocket. I'm glad i could help or, or at least not help. hurt yeah simone what are you doing oh, this week god what am i doing this week i was a man i was gonna try to prepare myself and think of what i was doing this week and then i got swept away in mad max forever um i am probably going oh what i'm god what am i doing i'm making viral <laughs> videos you guys i'm just gonna all make right, a bunch right. of videos go viral you're making videos That's my great. job great let's end the show let's end the show <laughs> all right Brianna, where can we find yeah. you online space cat gal cool john where can we find you online syracuse on twitter
And we can subscribe to the ATP podcast, correct? At ATP.fm. Awesome. You should do it. You should definitely do it. I think that um, you know, I try to not get super wonky with some of the with some of the technical stuff with my job here. But if you want a really wonky in the best possible way, like podcast, uh, ATP is is just unbelievably great. So, can you please just put a quote? Quote wonky, Brianna Wu. But it's it's as great. a review. Sometimes we spill water yeah. on our computers too. It's not all right. wonky. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> That's all when right. you're at your best, though. That's when I like your show best. So, and I can be found on Twitter at doomquasar and at pixelkin.org. And if you like this podcast, please do review us on iTunes. Drop some stars on there. Drop a review if you are so inclined. Thank you for listening. Terminated. Terminated. <laughs> <laughs>